take pride in your work. Imagine you're doing whatever you're doing in front of the whole world in a live television. One, you're likely to do your best. But more importantly, if it is successful, you got to take a lot of pride. Real quick note, my family and I just got back from an incredible cruise with UnCruise. Now we'd experienced what cruising was like on a big ship with thousands of people. And frankly, it just wasn't for us. But this one was completely different. It was a small boat of less than 100. We had an amazing time where we saw whales and other wildlife, inspiring nature, hiking, kayaking, and bushwhacking, which is hiking without the trails. And we received incredibly personalized service guides who get you off the beaten path and gorgeous sunsets. Everything was so easy and with no lines. They provided incredible meals, including sustainable seafood, not to mention a list of impressive cocktails. My wife, daughter, and I loved it. When we returned, I asked UnCruise to become a show sponsor, and I was excited when they agreed. Right now, they're offering special deals on cruises in Baja, Mexico, and Alaska that includes the incredible luxury, service, and adventure that we experience. To learn more, go to benleads.com slash cruise. That's benleads.com slash cruise for the latest deals. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team. Welcome back to another great episode. I've got a treat coming your way today with Keech, CEO of Hexaware, a 29,000-employee global tech services organization. Simply put, Keech tells me that he and his team are focused on building a great organization and making sure every customer feels like they're the only client. And imagine applying that mindset across their 45 plus offices in over 19 countries. Keech, welcome to lead the team, sir. Hey, Ben, thank you for having me here. It's my pleasure. Let's dive right in. What was your first job? And how does it influence your leadership today? You know, my first job was right out of college. I worked only for seven months. It's a company called Lacme. For people that may not be familiar with the brand, they're a part of Unilever. They do cosmetics. Okay. Oh, yeah. Unilever, huge, huge brand. Yeah. And, you know, I joined as a trainee. And you go through about four different, uh, five different rotations during the first year. And out of the seven odd months I was there, the biggest four months chunk was as a salesperson. That's where you start. And then you go to the next level and then the next level, they cover three levels of training. And then you get, after a year, you become the fourth level. When you start at the bottom level, my job was in a town, in a city called Ahmedabad, which in summer is, you know, 115 degrees Fahrenheit, 45 Ooh. degrees centigrade. And this is in India. This is in India? In India. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you walk, my job was to sell to about 35 retail stores a day for cosmetics and shampoos. And, you know, there, there were times when I questioned myself, what am I doing? I, I came out of top three B school in India. Mm. And 
top two engineering college and like, but what I realized is this, okay, don't judge your job. Hmm. And I tell young people who join us because everybody's, you know, I don't want to do, I want to do coding. I don't want to do testing. I want to do data. I, I tell people, don't judge your job. Hmm. Every job you do, you know, think you're planting a flag that's going to last forever. People should remember long after you've done it that, hey, this kid did a great job, no mm. matter what job was, right? So it was, you know, if I look back on that, the amount of insights you get about consumer and retail behavior in mm. those four months is invaluable. Mm. Now, though I quit that job in just over seven months, I have since worked in only two jobs. I, I worked in my next job at HL Tech for close on 20 years. And then when I joined Hexaware, I told in my first town hall, I told my employees, I will either retire here or get fired. Well, you know, going back to that first job, it reminds me a little bit of mine growing up in uh, Alabama. I uh, came out of school and I, I had the feeling that I mean that my my boss had me working and I was in manufacturing and I would have I was in engineering industrial engineering working the night shift sometimes working on the plant floor and in the hot Alabama sun going out measuring trailers and containers for different products and I thought man is this what I want went to school for but but looking back what I realized was I thought I learned how to work, how to be a professional in school. But you really don't get there, do you, until you're out there rolling your sleeves up, walking the streets of India, 115 degrees, doing the work. And that's where the real education begins, isn't it? it that is true. You learn so much. Ultimately, business done with people, and you don't learn how to deal with people in school. Yeah, such a cool job. And it, so what's been the secret for you? Because I would say 20 years in two companies, that's no way. It was 20 years in, in your second company. My second job. And this one, not not quite Ten as long. Years. How many? Ten. Yeah. So you tend to stick in a job for a while uh, or stick in, a, stick in your role, stick in the company. And a world that seems to reward job hopping to get promoted you have to leave a lot of times uh what's been the secret for you for sticking so you know you got to think of rewarding what time horizon is important for you hmm. so if you think of short term oftentimes job hopping may be more beneficial you know you'll get a hike whenever you jump but if you want to become a really senior exec. If you want to become a CEO, you know, I tell people, you know, think of a spiral model. What that means is you're not always growing like this. Mm. Look for opportunities to do horizontal jobs. You know, do like the mm. same level job in some unrelated function. Because ultimately, if you want to get at the top, you have to know at least some of everything, and you'll be really good at some things. Mm. And that's not going to happen. So oftentimes, job hopping rewards very vertical motions because people are not hiring 
for mm. what you've not done. They're hiring you for what you've done. But your company, if you built the right equity in it, and if you built the right trust with your with people about you, they're going to give you the opportunity to do something that you've not done before. Mm. So I really think that reward, if you think of it in the right time horizon, you're always better off. You know, you can't make a difference in a company in three years. Mm. What are the time horizons that you can make a difference in? And your, your rewards are ultimately proportional to the difference you bring. I can see that. And, and I agree. And it's interesting. A couple of things there. One, what can you really do in three years to make a lasting impact? Yes, you can make your numbers, but that's not, not a lasting impact because you're going to have a slightly higher goal of the same version next year. Uh, but impact is something long lasting. And so, and you're proposing, and it's not like this has been a secret sauce for you, is not thinking about vertical growth as much as horizontal growth, or maybe prioritizing both. When's the time you had to look horizontally? Because I bet you did have to look horizontally a lot to stay with a company for 20 years and uh, so, and, and get to the top. You know, I'm, I must be thankful to, you know, a couple of my past managers who gave me those opportunities, right? I joined, you know, the, the company that I worked in 20 years, I joined in marketing, which by the way is where I met my wife of what would be 27 years. All right. You met at work. Yeah. And then a year later, I got moved into sales. And then right through this period, I did a lot of finance, not like accounting type finance, but pricing and financial modeling. You know, if you're in a small company, and we were at that time, you get those horizontal opportunities more. I've been fortunate not to necessarily go hunting after horizontal opportunities, but I see a lot of reverse behavior now that people, when they get horizontal opportunities, they're like, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to be a specialist. It feels like, because they're probably thinking, hey, a horizontal opportunity just means more work without a bigger title and more money. What do you say to them or that people that are saying that right now? That may be true <laughs> for one year yeah. or two years. Okay. But, and then. Know, very different some years down the line. So play the long game. Play the long game. Yeah, play the long game. Think horizontally. Yeah, I've heard it described as the um, people think the old school way is to think about their career ladder. And now we think about the career rock wall where we may have to look horizontally. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it can feel a lot better for employees to think about their careers that way because when you're on a ladder, you're looking at the person who's on the next rung. And if you're like, my boss is not going anywhere for the next five years. I have nowhere to grow, nowhere to go. But with the spiral staircase analogy, they're like, okay, we're moving around. There are other ways to get up than just straight up. Love that perspective. So bringing this, what thinking about yourself during that early part of your career, what advice would you give your younger self today or something that you try ask them to try? Yeah, well, several things, but but some interesting ones. What I tell my kids, you know, they're both out of college, but I told them when they were in college, you know, have multi-speciality. I think like, you know, Elon Musk famously obviously studied physics and econ, right? I think in today's world, you need to kind of add computers and data skill to pretty much 
anything that you may want to do. You want to do music, you still want to add computers and data to that. Mm. Because you know what? Music can be generated and is currently generated by AI. Mm. Now, what, what can you do to use that as a start point rather than treat it as a competition, right? It doesn't matter. I mean, earlier, till like a few years ago, thought creative functions can be touched by technology. But actually today, you know, AIs that hallucinate are a problem for many areas, but hallucination is actually great for creative functions. Tell me more. I mean, think of the best works of art or movies or storytelling or poetry. There's a strong element of imagination. Yeah. That's what differentiates it, right? And, and you know, chat GPT or any of these, what are their biggest drawback, right? Aside from bias, they hallucinate. They, they come up with random stuff even when they don't know the answer. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's great for poetry. Mm. That's great for storytelling. That's great for coming up with art. That's great for creating movies. Yeah, I can see a lot of layers to that. Number one, think about your field of study and interest and learn to utilize the tools that can put that into a different area of creativity, like AI, like data. Of course, years ago, there was an AI uh, just in, just on in the movies. So this is a relatively new-ish tool. Uh, but yeah, whatever the, I think about like generationally, there's always a tool that can improve the situation. Uh, right now it happens to be AI, but building your awareness of those tools and being able to step into utilizing them versus your peers that may be shunning them um, and moving away from that. And I have never thought about the hallucinations from chat GPT as being a creative booster, but certainly it could be. And uh, you seem like a guy, and it, this is just one thing that I'm picking up on, you always seem to be thinking about the opportunity in the situation. You know, hallucinations by chat GPT is supposed to be a bad thing, according to the Wall Street Journal. But you're like, wait, 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 wait a minute. There actually might be a way we can utilize that. Is this, is this a trait that you have naturally developed or just natural to who you are? Or you're like, Ben, that doesn't even apply to me. I'm curious. Well, that's somewhat true, I think, for a lot of leaders. I think it's true for yeah. most people naturally, I think, tend to be positive, right? But it's good to kind of think of what, what, are, what are good things that can come from a situation, right? So. Yeah, no, that's, that is definitely a powerful trait. Are you looking to increase sales, grow your brand, and share your leadership message? then check out our business podcast program. Each week, more people listen to podcasts than have Netflix accounts, and one-third of the U.S. population listens to podcasts regularly. So your customers and team are already listening to podcasts. It should be yours. Discover our five-step profitable podcast framework and what results you can expect for your company by setting up a 20-minute call with my team at benleads.com slash schedule. That's benleads.com slash schedule. Speaking of traits, what's the one trait you wish you could instill in every employee, all 29,000 employees, and why do you think it's important? You know, I tell people take pride in your work. Hmm. Imagine you're doing whatever you're doing in front of the whole world in a live television. 
I'm making this up, but I'm saying that to make a point. You know, two things are going to happen, right? One, you're likely to do your best to make sure that mm-hmm. what you're trying to work to is successful. But more importantly, if it is successful, you're going to take a lot of pride. And that's a bit of a self-fulfilling loop. If you're going to take pride in your work, you're going to put in that extra effort. You're going to do your best. Take pride in your work. Mm. So you should be proud about putting a label with your name on every piece of work. Like an artist would sign the painting. It lives forever. Reminds me of one of the early Macs from Apple. And was it Steve Jobs had all the employees sign? Maybe they still do sign sign the inside or their names are printed inside the computer, like inside the hardware. There, there, there's some kind of story about that. Now, not, no one could see it, but all the employees that participated knew about it. And it reminds me of another study. My wife and, and I and my daughter, we play a lot of tennis. And there is a strategy that a coach will, will say, and I've read this, like imagine that you're on TV. And you're yeah. playing, or you're ma- imagine that you're playing tennis and you're trying to show someone how to hit a proper forehand. And it's incredible when you visualize that someone is watching how clean, how much cleaner the strokes are when you're really focused on that. And I think it ties back to, to taking pride. And it's easy, you know. What what do you say to, to an employee who's like, you know what? That sounds great. But I do the same thing every day. It's monotonous. And I feel like I'm just a cog in a wheel. And uh, what are you talking about? I need to take more pride in my work. You know, we are fortunately in a business where the likelihood of that being true is low. I tell people who come in, I mean, we're in the business of writing code, writing software, and then doing everything else to make that software work, right? Put it into production, mm-hmm. run it in production. If you think of every industry in the world, it's been changed by code. You know, movies is code now. Shopping is code. Music is code. Money is code. Everything is code. And every industry, cars is code. Tesla made cars is code, right? So every industry is going to get there. And I tell our employees, that's your opportunity to change the world, change each customer, change every industry by coding. Something monotonous. I love it. That right there, I think, is the secret sauce to employee engagement, too. Explain why their job is important and help them believe it and help them understand how it's part of the bigger picture. And not just the bigger picture of, hey, your work here is going to help the team or help the organization. But can you explain how their job changes the world? And then you got to remind them every day. When's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career, Keech? And how did it lead to your personal success or growth on down the road? I can think of several examples from tactical to, you know, at a tactical level, you know, we are in a business to business industry. 
So we sell to clients and our deals tend to be large. Each deal tends to be large. And then mm-hmm. each loss is like, it hurts people. And I like for it to hurt. I, I want people to feel really bad when you lose a deal. Right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, I don't want them to wallow in it forever. I like, mm-hmm. I think it's called Pinichek Covers. It's on to the next game. So, you know, there is a time you get 24 hours to celebrate a win or mourn a loss, but uh, after the round, but yeah. what happens in our business is this. Mm-hmm. Deals we lose often come back as an opportunity in three or five year cycles. And our teams have a special motivation for a deal they lost three years ago to go and win it this time. We just won a substantial deal like literally weeks ago, which is something we lost three years ago. And all the conversation about that is, hey, we got them this time. Right? Mm. So extra motivation that but this is something that happens fairly often in, in our company, in our industry, you know, where success and, and you know leads to additional motivation. In this case, like, you know, it's served court. It's not like you get to act on it tomorrow. You gotta bottle up that energy and wait for it to unleash three or five years from now when that same opportunity shows up again. But it does happen. That's how you play the long game. Not just from the employees in your career, but how you do it with your clients. And I just love the tenacity. And you, I mean, losing a deal is not a good feeling. But knowing that, hey, my company plays a long game. We're going we're gonna to lay it all on the line right now. And it'll be worth it even if we lose because we're building the credibility and the relationships for the next cycle. Or when you lose... You don't just pack up and get mad at that. I mean, it'd be, it's, it's easy to get frustrated with a customer who drops you, right? You've been doing business with them for a while. The animosity can be high. Like, that, I can't believe they did that. But your mind says, wait, wait, wait. Let's learn from this. We're going to get them back in three to five years when they move around. It's, um, I think in tech, it's just not a common leadership perspective to have because things are changing so quickly. You're playing a long game in a short game world. There's got to be some friction in there. What do you think? Yes and no. I think for the most part, I think you you know, keep doing the long game, keep doing the right thing for clients. I think the short game is you got to show quarterly growth. That's the pressure. So what do you do to handle the pressure with a team who, let's say they lose a deal and you're like, man, we got to make some changes around here because we're not going to meet our goals versus, hey, uh, you know, we we made it, they made a mistake. They didn't win it. They've learned a lot from it. I want to keep them around because there's there's, there's some story from Hewlett Packard, you know, one one of the Hewlett Packard founders where they had lost a deal, you know, multiple six-figure deal way back in yesteryear. And they asked one of the one of the founders, hey, you're going to fire that person now. And he's like, no, I just spent $200,000, you know, educating them or training them <laughs> through that process. Why would I get rid of them now? How, how do you think about that? Managing, sort of playing the long game 
and the, and the short game with building your team, which I know is a big focus of your organization. Yeah. So, you know, just before answering that question specifically, mm-hmm. I think philosophically, we tend not to, we tend to evaluate people before we hire them. After they join us, then the focus, how can we support them? How can we help them to okay. be successful? Right? Now, that doesn't mean that bad performers get a free pass, right? But we don't kind of judge them or evaluate them on short cycles. We give people enough time to succeed in the roles. And if they don't succeed, we'll try sometimes, not every single time, mm-hmm. but some, try them in a different role too, right? Now, in a deal situation such as what we just discussed, I think it is sometimes, it is important for the leader to recognize the difference between a bad team that did a bad job and a good team that did a great job and we lost in spite of it. Did we lose because of them or in spite of them? I think that's an important Mm. judgment to make every single instance. It's not that hard. I think, you know, it it becomes, if you are like only looking at the data, Mm. you can't make the judgment. But if you are actually closer and, and are involved with the people, the deal, the client, it's not that hard a judgment to make. Such a powerful response for leaders to be thinking about. One, making that distinction, but also being close enough to the big deals where you can make it. Otherwise, you're just looking at a scorecard. Oh, we're red because we lost business. That seems bad, but maybe it's just part of the organization's learning journey, and that's just part of it. Um, And so, Actually, there are in certain deals, before we know the decision, I tell the accounting, I tell the client teams, I'll tell you this before we know the decision so that it doesn't sound like I'm giving you a condolence later and I'm giving you a brownie point later. Even if you lose the deal, you guys are done a great job. I got to chill. I got to chill here on that. That's how you keep people around and you keep them fighting for you and keep fighting for the client. No matter the outcome, are they doing things the right way? So 29,000 people, how in the world are you managing your time? (laughs) Because you said you got to be close to the deal and the team to be able to do that. You've got 29,000 people. So what, how are you thinking about, and you got a global workforce, by the way, what are you doing? How do you, how do you think about time management? and making sure that you're doing the right things to spend your time the right ways as a leader? So we are organized by multiple businesses and functions. And I think all of our leadership team, you know, think of their own businesses as their own company. They set their own ambitions for that business. They set their own agenda for the business. They, you know, they literally run it like their CEOs of that company. Mm -hmm. So, So... You know, I'm not, it's not one monolith, 29,000 people organization. It's a lot of businesses, each of which are reasonably sized, right? Many of them are, you know, getting to individually to get to half a billion size. 
in the next couple of years. Some of them will even this year. But that's how we run it. And I think under each such leader, if he can spawn another five leaders who think and act that way, that's his scaling model. So think and act that way. So how are you thinking about that with your workforce and making sure that 29,000 people are rowing in the same direction? Because most people can't even get five people to row in the same direction. So what are you, how are you thinking about that? I think there's nothing like a common purpose to get everybody on the same page, right? You know, we saw this in COVID, right? Like twice actually, first wave and then the Delta wave. Every single individual had their own issues at home, personal issues, some individuals are sick and and our business, especially the first wave initial COVID, our business was tanking and nobody knew mm-hmm. when that tanking will stop. We were losing clients, not clients, but business from clients on a daily basis. Every day I used to fear every call that I get because I knew <laughs> that is not good news. some bad news. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I just didn't know what kind of bad news, whether it's about an employee or it's about a client, right? Mm-hmm. But yet, the whole organization, I think, didn't miss a beat. Everybody worked to one. You know, we had clearly two priorities defined. Priority one, and there's no, there's no ambiguity about the order of priorities. Priority one is employee wellness. Priority mm-hmm. two is continuity of service for our clients. Mm-hmm. We did both incredibly well. And this is in spite of us going through a really tough time as an organization, because there's just this sense of, you know, wartime shared purpose. Mm. I think if you can recreate that shared purpose in peacetime, that's great for an organization. Yeah. Wow. Great. So, Keech, what's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success that listeners could go out and purchase? You know, I've been using a Garmin watch for longer than I can remember. But more recently, they introduced a Connect app. If your phone has all the rights, if your watch has all the right sensors, the amount of what you can learn about your, your body mm-hmm. and your fitness is outstanding. You know, what food I eat, how does it impact my sleep? When I eat, how does it impact my sleep? You know, how does it impact my heart rate if I have... Alcohol, you know, what does it do to my stress level? What you can learn about yourself and how it reacts is outstanding. I don't think fitness is important for anything, but certainly to be a successful exec, you need to be physically fit. Yeah, tying into this interview, the long game, it's it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. That's career, that's life, that's your 50-year plan. Uh, what So on the Garmin, what have you discovered? What uh, is like, like you mentioned, eating, sleeping, since you've been wearing the garment, what, what has it made you aware of? So they have a metric called body battery. It is what it sounds like. Okay, it's a, it tells you how much gas you have in your tank. And it's an incredibly accurate reflection of how you feel. How energetic you feel, your body battery will It'll be higher for sure. Okay. And I think I found easy but 
if I eat late spicy food, my sleep is bad, my stress level during sleep, the body doesn't recharge during sleep, my body battery in the morning is lower than what it should be. But alcohol, definitely that is the case. Mm-hmm. So yeah. heart rate, next day resting heart rate will be worse. Okay. Actually, heart rate goes up even that particular day. So I think you learn a lot. And, you know, like anything, measuring helps you improve. And this measures a lot of things. So it's a Garmin app within like an Apple watch or a different kind of watch? Or is it a Garmin no, watch? With the Garmin watch. Garmin watch, okay. It's the Garmin app and the Garmin watch. Okay, okay, all right. Well, it sounds like putting those things on autopilot for yourself. And I'm assuming it gives you some kind of report and points out things or do you just notice it yourself? Yeah, there's some analytics in it. I think that's okay. still evolutionary, but okay. uh, you can figure a lot yourself. Keech, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hit some big topics, some for a lot of wise insights there and some great stories. What's your parting thought for our listeners? You know, um, your listeners are execs or wannabe execs, I guess. Wannabe execs are probably more, more than the actual execs. You know, I tell young people, you know, at the start of your career, think about what does it take for you to be successful over 40 years and 50 years? Mm. Because a lot of people don't think that. way. think about three years, two years, what's my next salary look like? But the truth is that your average age is going up more than just the age. The amount of time that you held before is going up. You know, all the big killers will be cured. Cancer, dementia, you know, heart and lung, they're all be cured. By the time they grow up, people are younger. So they'll be working, they, they could work, they choose to forever. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, what's the rhythm in you that's going to make you successful for 50 years? Well, we had a heck of a theme today with playing the long game. And so that's the cherry on top of the interview. Keech, thanks for coming on. Lead the team. Thank you. Would you or your CEO be a good fit for this podcast? If you know a uniquely talented leader who has a story to share and a message to deliver, then we'd love to host them on the show. Go to benleads.com slash apply to fill out a quick form where you can let us know a little bit about yourself and my team will take a look to see if we're a good fit. That's benleads.com slash apply. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.